Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, Justin. Hey, Andros. You know, one thing I always wonder about our show is uh, how, how we can make it grow like a business. You ever wonder that? So we could get like more than seven listeners? <laughs> I, I always wonder that because we've hit that growth plateau that 80% of businesses apparently hit this growth stagnancy curve. So, um, but you know what? I have somebody that knows a lot about that. That's going to be coming on the, on the show here in a minute. What? No way. <laughs> tell, tell me more. That's right. We have Tiffany Bova uh, coming on the show. She wrote the book growth IQ showing you how to reignite growth. If your business ever stalls and, uh, and how to never lose that momentum in the first place. So. Oh, right on. Well, I'm ready to hear that. But first, we got to hear our opening theme song. Ladies and gentlemen, we are the Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Tiffany Bova is uh, man. She's she's uh, she's she's got the juice, as they say. She's uh, uh, yeah, a, a best-selling author, a, a public speaker. She uh, uh, is. Well, let me uh, let me let me let me let me come in here because uh, yeah, I, I want to give an intro, a proper intro here. Uh, but Tiffany is the. Oh, oh, my intro wasn't good enough for you. No, not, not good enough at all. Not good. All enough right, all right. Show me up, man. Tell me, show me how it's done then. So Tiffany Bova is the global customer growth and innovation evangelist at Salesforce. I love that title, by the way. Uh, she's a top-rated speaker, thought leader, sales and marketing influencer known around the world as an industry innovator. Um, her writing has been featured in the Huffington Post, Harvard Business Review, and on the Salesforce blog page. And uh, over the past two decades, she's led large revenue-producing divisions at businesses ranging from startups to Fortune 500 companies. She's worked with companies like Microsoft, Cisco, Hewlett-Packard, IBM, Oracle, AT&T, Dell, Amazon, and AWS, which are, I've heard of a few of those. And, uh, <laughs> and she runs the What's Next podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the major platforms where she's had guests like Seth Godin and Ariana Huffington on the show. And in August 2018, she released the book Growth IQ, which I imagine we'll be talking quite a bit about today, which outlines 10 paths to growth that every company must understand to grow with confidence. So please welcome to the show, Tiffany Bova, everybody. 
Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. What a great intro. Thank you. So, uh, Tiffany, tell us uh, what we haven't covered uh, for our listeners who haven't uh, heard about you. Uh, Can you give us uh, your background? Well, so I, I always like to just start by saying that I call myself a recovering seller. I sold, <laughs> I sold for a really long time, uh, technology specifically, and then somewhere along my my career, um, I was asked to also manage the marketing function, and then a little further into my career, I was asked to manage uh, sales, marketing, and customer service. And so I've had this unique perspective when I was a practitioner, if you will. Uh, living and breathing the act of going to market and selling and marketing and servicing customers uh, of all sizes. And and then I spent a decade at Gartner, which is the Gartner Group, which is one of the largest IT advisory and consulting firms in the world around IT. And and, uh, I had to learn how to be an academic. So I took that practitioning experience and applied it uh, on the academia side. And, you know, boy, did I realize how much I didn't know. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, I decided one day the crazy idea to write a book and I left Gartner, joined Salesforce. They created a role for me. And now I just get to travel around the world and tell stories and meet with incredibly uh, inspiring trailblazing customers and, and hear how they are changing the game as it relates to those three disciplines of sales, marketing and customer service. Wow. So your book, uh, Growth IQ, it's pretty heavy on, on research. Uh, it looks like you put on a lot of homework to kind of get the get all the data together. So um, you obviously have a passion for sales, marketing, uh, entrepreneurship and growth. So tell me a little bit like why, why are you so interested or what drives that curiosity behind that particular topic? Well, you know, it, it wasn't me that said this, but I think it's profound. You know, companies do, businesses do two things. They make stuff, they sell stuff. I mean, it's just not more complicated than that. <laughs> and I'm oversimplifying, obviously, because not everybody makes the things they sell. But I think you get the point, right? You're either going to stock things and sell things or make things and sell things, right? So, uh, you know, at its most basic level, it was it was how do I help companies be better at that action of selling. And, you know, more than anything, I think over the last two and a half decades that I've been doing this, I'd say that customers are far more disruptive to the status quo of selling, marketing and servicing than I've ever seen, especially on on the digital marketing side. I mean, I was the, literally, I was the beta client for Eloqua a long time ago, uh, 2001. And constant contact. And back then there was maybe, you know, a dozen marketing technologies. And now there's, I don't know, Scott, Scott says there's like 6,500 or some, some crazy (laughs) number of MarTech products. And so there's no (laughs) shortage of, of technology. And so I I started to really think about this isn't a technology program uh, problem outside of it being an overload of technology, but I really felt it to be a people process uh, issue. And I, and I thought with my um, experience actually doing the job and then studying and watching how so many companies around the globe did it. I mean, I took probably you know, 5,000 calls from customers from all different sizes over the, over the course of a decade. And, and those are a lot of touch points. So you start to hear patterns. And, and I had, had such a love for uh, the job and the role of selling that I said, how do I how do I continue doing this without carrying a quota and carrying a bag? And, and this is what I ended up doing. <laughs> wow. Wow. So I mean, like, so was this, was this something like a job that you kind of created for yourself in a, in a sense? This one I'm in right now. Yeah. Yes. And so, 
Yeah. And going back to the title and I had to make up my title. So, uh. right. And so there, that title is very specific. So first of all, if I put sales in my title, then people would think I was trying to sell them something or that I had some responsibility on the selling side of this massive organization known as Salesforce, which I do not. And then if I, you know, put my rank and file in there, then they'd think, you know, is she an SVP? Does she manage people? I also mm-hmm. do not. So at the end of the day, what do I do? Well, I talk about growth and innovation and I'm an evangelist for sort of all that is going on in the market from a trend perspective, from a customer perspective. And I have this unique, uh, uh, you know, sort of superpower, if you will, to string lots of data points together and, and tell the story in a way that resonates with people, uh, both on stage and then obviously in, in the book. But yes, the role was created to have me continue sort of doing what I was doing in my last life uh, at Gartner, but more so now from, from much closer to the action of, of the organizations that are actually doing the work. So how did this uh, how did this opportunity arise? Um, I mean, did did Mark Benioff, the the CEO of Salesforce, did he approach you and like kind of offer you something like this position, or did you approach him? Because I also noticed that you you joined Salesforce in 2016, but you didn't write the book till 2018. So that came after you joined. So tell me a little bit about like why Salesforce. How did that relationship start? Um, I want to hear a little bit about the backstory there. Well, I, you know, I was fortunate enough being a Gartner analyst that I covered Salesforce in its go-to-market and channel strategy. So they were a client uh, when I was on the analyst side, if you will. So I helped advise them when they decided to go and break up the organization into industry-focused go-to-market models. So I helped them sort of think through that. When they were first standing up at the App Exchange and the ISV program, I helped craft a lot of that. And this is many, many years ago, 12 or 13 years ago. I had attended 10 Dream Forces by the time I joined the company. So now I'm you know, going to be coming up on I don't know, 13 or 14 at this point in this coming year. And so I had spent quite a bit of time you know, watching the disruption that Salesforce was leading as it related to the traditional, quote unquote, technology resale channel. And I had been advising some of the very largest tech companies in the world in their entire channel strategy. So I was always watching what Salesforce was doing because they were pushing the envelope in areas that the traditional on-premise software providers were not. And I looked to them as really the tip of the spear of what was going to be coming. And so a lot of the advice I gave was, look, you know, you need to stand up something that looks like the app exchange. You got to go find partners that look like those that were early in investment in Salesforce, like the Cloud Sherpas uh, and the Aperios of the world, long before the global SIs were even interested at all. And so I I was always um, keeping tabs on what they were doing. And so when it was time for me to say, hey, you know, what do I want to do next? Uh, I sort of looked across the landscape and said, you know, if I could go anywhere, where, where would I work? And I really leaned back on the fact that those 10 dream forces I had attended, uh, like I'm sure you have, hundreds, if not a thousand tech conferences over the course of my selling and analyst career. And Dreamforce was the only tech event I'd ever attended where I left at the end of four days feeling like I wanted to be a better human being. It was such a different experience from what was said on stage to the way you felt when you walked through the grounds, the fact that you were donating time, even as an attendee, 
the conversations that they were having on main stage was not about technology and not about themselves, but more just really about this business being this platform for change and doing well by doing good and having really interesting and compelling uh, people speaking and sessions and breakouts and keynotes. And it was just life-changing in so many ways for me to to leave that and feel energized instead of completely exhausted, which you know, sometimes right. you'll leave a conference and you're like, oh God, I need a vacation. <laughs> right. Yeah. So especially four days long, which is a big commitment. And, you know, 170,000 people showed up last year. So obviously people are not worried about committing four days to a conference from a technology provider. So that says a lot. So it was, you know, if I could go anywhere, where would I go? And, and uh, Salesforce was definitely top of the list. And so, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, the rumor has it that that's how it happened, that Mark reached out, but that's, that's, just a rumor, um, but oh, what's the know, truth? Give us the real scoop here. You no, know, it, it, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> okay, but but you know, I, I sort of said, hey, you know, I obviously had some relationships in the organization. It was just, it was kind of just a seed comment, and then it took time to grow. You know, I mean, it was over time, like like you said. I mean, things like that don't just happen overnight, and so it was just a matter of mutual respect. And and I had made the decision to to leave, and the opportunity came about, and they offered me a position, and I jumped. Wow, that's incredible. Now, now, one of the things I, I want to ask you, because, uh, you know, uh, the reason that a lot of our seven listeners uh, have uh, gone into digital marketing, myself included, is because I don't want to work for anybody. I want to work for myself. Um, but I also find that, like you, th there are like doing live presentations, uh, interconnecting with people, that makes me come alive, Right. Uh, but what would you recommend somebody if somebody was running their own digital agency or a solopreneur uh, doing digital marketing and they wanted to make a leap to create a, their own job? What steps would they need to go through to turn that around so they don't burn out from what they're doing? I think there's a couple things. You know, I, I have a high level of respect for marketers. I mean, at the end of the day, I started this off by joking and saying I'm a recovering seller. And we all know that the wonderful love-hate relationship between those two roles of, you know, marketers, sale, sellers never follow up on leads, sellers, marketers always give us crap, like that <laughs> whole conversation, um, that it's really difficult for marketers. There's so many things that are going on. And so, you know, as a, as a solopreneur or an entrepreneur with a small agency, you know, I would step back for a second and really take time to understand how the customer, consumer, uh, the audience is that you think you're marketing to is actually changing what they expect from you now as a brand. And, you know, overall, uh, I think customer expectations are absolutely driving this digital transformation, and that includes marketing. And And the expectations are getting higher and higher and higher. And so, you know, to a marketer, I often say, what's the last wow experience you had with a brand? And I don't care what the brand is, you know, in your consumer or professional life. And then do you think your customers say that about your brand? Do they feel like when they engage with you, it was a wow experience? Not every time, right? But it's you're engaging. It's personalized. It's timely. Uh, you know, it it uses the technology that they now know as customers are available to them at other, right, other brands. And so when you don't make those investments, what they say about that is you have apathy towards them as a customer. And so for marketers, it's like, you know, where to even begin? The platform on social is exploding. 
the speed in which things are changing. You know, it used to be Facebook, then it was Twitter, then it was LinkedIn, then, you know, now, then it was Instagram. Now it's TikTok. Like, what's your strategy across all six of those? Yeah, and it's 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 really hard. I mean, I, one of the things I, I've been uh, studying TikTok, and I, I, uh, I one of the things I find really fascinating is that how it's changed the music industry. So music producers will create a 30-second kind of slice of a song they're thinking of producing. Uh, they'll see how people react to it on uh, TikTok, and if, if they like it, then they'll produce like a two-minute version of it. So songs are getting shorter, um, and it's it's kind of, uh, changing the entire industry. And then of course, being tested in advance. <laughs> yeah, and, and I just was reading that Jeffrey Katzenberg is uh, doing a new platform that's going to have this really short form entertainment. So, uh, so it's, 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 it's fascinating to see how these particular industries are, are changing, especially as video um, becomes more of, of a thing. Uh, but, but what do you see as the important things that, companies should be following like like you you laid out that they should be paying attention to platforms but um but you said you had some superpowers with trends what are the trends that are that are happening like how, how do marketers take advantage of this sort of vast market now well you know i i say this when i'm in front of large audiences especially if it's marketers i will literally ask them the question when was the last time you went on a sales call like if you work in an organization where there is a selling function and a marketing function, you're not just an agency, let's say, right? You're a, a, a marketing manager in a company. When was the last time you went on a sales call? And you'd be surprised, you know, 200 people in the room, you know, and I say in the last 30 days, one person might raise their hand, last 60 days, 90 days, six months, you know, you, I might get 20 people. And then I, and I say, well, so how do you even know if all this work you're putting into this wonderful, beautiful PowerPoint presentation that talks about the vision and mission of the business and who you are and what you do and who your customers are and the, you know, and the vanity slide and the this and the that, if it even lands or it's being used. And, and then I'll say, and I don't want you to go on that sales call and say, I'm from marketing. Because then the customer or whoever's, you know, receiving that marketing material is going to change their answer. So I want you to go and act like you're a new hire salesperson and see what it's really like when the customer goes, I don't need to see your PowerPoint or you could take those marketing materials. I'm going to throw them away anyway <laughs> or whatever. And, but you think as a marketer, like I have to do, you know, the four P's, I have to drive them through the Ada funnel. I have to, and that is not what customers do. You know, I would bet my life on the fact that customers do not wake up and say, Oh my God, today's the day I'm moving from stage two to stage three in the buying funnel. <laughs> So you think you think that they're um, the marketers are out of touch because they're not having those conversations with the salespeople. Now, could they audit those calls instead of being the ones to run the calls? Or do you think they actually have to run the calls to get the most value out of um, kind of getting back in touch with those uh, customer segments? So if it's a call center only business, I'd listen in. If it's if you have face to face sellers at all, I mean, literally get in the car and go. Yeah. If it's, um, you know, your your salesperson is doing something like you need to. And, and I would say the same thing to those on the phone that are sellers. The, the third thing I'd say is that marketers spend a lot of time on sales enablement and they don't spend the same amount of time on customer service enablement. And that is sort of one of those, you know, trends I'm I'm really been talking about over the last couple of years that I think the customer service call center is going to be the next sales force, two words. 
And, uh, you know, we even see not trademark, not trademark that way. Right. Yeah. Not two, <laughs> two words. words. I have to say two words now that I work here. I can't, can't just say the word. <laughs> I got to say one word or two words. So people know what I mean, the company or the actual role. Um, so that they're going to be the next sales force. And so marketing spends a lot of time enabling sales, but are they spending the same amount of time enabling customer service to actually service customers after the sale? So they don't decide to leave and they decide to spend more and more frequently upsell, cross sell, all that happens. And so it's the triangulation of sales, marketing and customer service. That is where brands are really outperforming the rest is when they have tight connection and collaboration between those three groups uh, and obviously that they're sharing the information between them. Oh, that's so vital. That's so vital. And, and, uh, you know, I've seen, I, I personally witnessed companies who wanted to keep these groups separate and uh, like, why? Because uh, the, the customer journey is one where, where a customer feels like they're kind of floated through the experience. Uh, so if, if these teams aren't talking to each other, it's, it's like talking to Comcast. <laughs> well, know? and I'd also say for a marketer, sit in on and listen to, to your customer service at least, at least once a month, at least, because it's little things like, is the email you send when you're upselling and cross-selling, is it right? Is it still valid? Is it personalized? Is it compelling? Like, what are the tools that they need? What are the things they need? Are Is customer service aware of the promo that you're running on your website that you've alerted sales about, but you didn't tell customer service that sale, you know, marketing marks, markets, you know, it's 10% off. Sales gets a call and goes, I don't know what you're talking about. So they sell it to them at the regular price. It's, you know, now they're a customer. They, the customer calls customer service and says, I want my 10% credit for this. And they're, everybody's going, I don't know what's happening. And the customer feels like they're dealing with three different completely different companies between marketing sales and customer service. And if marketers feel, and many say this, and I do, I'm not a proponent of this statement I'm about to make, but that marketing and chief marketing officers and marketers want to own customer experience. And I'm like, look, nobody should own it. The whole company needs to be invested, but someone needs to mm. own the metric and sort of what is happening. And so if marketing wants to own that metric, like net promoter score or CSAT score or churn rates or whatever it might be. I'm okay with that, but you cannot achieve compelling customer experience. And for marketers who now lean on that as we're going to help you create, you know, better customer experiences, because, you know, as I said, and we said at Gartner eight years ago, we thought experience was going to be the new product. And that has completely manifested itself um, that I'd say, then you have to make sure that you are tightly aligned. And if you're not, the only person that notices it is the customer. Now, in the in the book, I just want to bring this back to the book because you highlight 10 growth paths in the book and several of these interconnect with the idea of customer experience. I mean, one of them is customer experience itself in the book, um, but you also talk about customer base penetration and churn rate. And we did a we did a prediction episode uh, just a few weeks back for 2020 on, on the trends of marketing. And one of the things we highlighted was that we think that the customer experience and the idea of focusing your marketing efforts on your existing clientele is going to become a bigger and bigger thing in 2020 and beyond. Um, but beyond that, also, you also mentioned about like how tech innovations can kind of change things. Like one of the things that we're noticing is that there's this this trend to move towards personalization like to the point where um, dynamic emails are becoming a thing where based on like the tags that somebody has in a CRM, they might get a different email content than somebody else, or even a website might appear differently to somebody based on how their data is stored in the CRM system. 
Um, do you see like that personalization tech taking on right now? Or are you seeing anything related to that? Um, I'm just curious in your opinion. Yeah, I think personalization is absolutely uh, top of mind. And it has really everything to do with the fact that customers want brands to feel like you know them, that they have an expectation for this connected experience. Okay. They want to feel like they're communicating with one company. You know, they, you know, they want you to say, so I, I always use this one because it's a very basic one, but I find it fascinating in 2020 that I will still get a credit card application for a credit card I already own. Oh yeah. And, and it's, it's the same thing when, when I have uh, someone connect with me on LinkedIn and they're like, hello, sir, our company provides website and marketing and blah, 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 blah. It's like, you obviously <laughs> didn't read my profile. Yes. And so one you of know? my colleagues uh, and I used to call that Friday fails and we literally would do hashtag Friday fails and we would post it on LinkedIn and we would black out the names of the, you know, the guilty to keep them, you know, hidden. Oh. And we literally would call it Friday fails and it would be like, you know, uh, you know, hi, Tiffany, you know, or hi, Miss Bova. I'd love to help you with your go to market model. I'm like, OK, <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm really interested to hear, you know, but or now, you know, I get pitched to like we can help you know, Salesforce generate more leads. I'm like, okay, <laughs> awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, because they, they scrubbed your profile and they saw the word Salesforce on there and that was all they needed. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so let me ask you in the, in the past, like say five to 10 years, cause you say you, you notice patterns, how is sales, the sales process changed and where do you think it's going in the next, like say three to five years? Yeah. So I used to often say that the customer is different. Technology is different, yet we sell the same way. And I would get a visceral reaction when I'd say that on stage. Like people would be like, how dare you say we sell the same way? I don't sell the same way at all. And I'm like, okay, how many of you still get told you have to call 100 people a day? Hands go up. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, it's 2019, it's 2018. Like, why wouldn't you just want to call the 10 people most likely to buy based on AI and machine learning? Underneath saying the propensity scores and all the intelligence we're gathering is telling us that these are probably the 10 that are more likely, right? These guys have apples and oranges. They're more likely to buy papayas. Call them. Don't just call people who you don't know, right? So if you're still calling out people, sometimes be. How many of you, you know, uh, um, have, uh, I'll say, how many of you in the last 30 days have taken a deal backwards, backwards in your uh, funnel? And of course, no one raises their hands. And I'm like, oh, so you're telling me, oh, my God, like, really? Nobody in this room has had a deal that goes backwards. OK, first of all, that's not reality. How many of you have a forecast actual accuracy of 95? You know, I just kind of go through it and I'm being hyper sarcastic on purpose. And I usually say, look, I'm being sarcastic on purpose <laughs> because I want you to realize that you may think that, you know, it used to be we learned spin selling and then solution selling and then challenger selling and then whatever it is, you know, uh, and, and ultimately I tell you that we might have changed our behaviors and we've gotten better at writing emails or we don't always have to drive to a meeting. We're doing video selling, but the processes underneath it are the same. Like that Ada funnel I joked about from a marketing perspective. What, what year do you think that funnel was invented? Don't know. Uh, 
just take a swag. You guys are in the marketing space. Take a swag. Mm, 1995. Okay. Anybody? Another one? Padros, you're going to take a guess? Oh, sorry. I, 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 I don't know why that. My mic stopped working. Uh, I would say the 50s. Okay. So it's in the late 1800s, literally. Oh, okay. 1995 was close. Yeah. So, like, you know, 1896, invented by uh, Thomas Watson, who worked for NCR, National Cast Register. He created solution selling, demos, the funnel, compensation plans, all that. So this is nothing new. So you're telling me that today in 2020 that the funnel is still relevant. I'm not saying that there isn't value there. But deals don't just flow through that funnel one step to the next, to the next, to the next. The buyer journey and the selling process are two very different things. And and marketers get trapped in the fact that it's all about putting more in the funnel. And it's like, why not just put less, but more of the right customers? And that goes back to your question of understanding who they are, going on sales process, what's relevant to them, making it more personalized, right? And so you don't have to stick 10,000 through to get 1,000 out the other end. Maybe you can put 3,000 through and get 800 out the other end. And although you got less, it's more profitable because you're spending money, you know, more smartly. So, you know, I just use that as um, I think that there's so much room for improvement. And, uh, you know, I usually get, well, who's doing it? Who's doing it right? And the challenge is that that, uh, some companies will do it really well in one, like, killer customer service or really good at selling or really good at marketing or good at two of the three and, you know, getting all three completely aligned and collaborative and, and going in the same direction, you know, 365 days a year is really difficult. So it's the ebb and the flow of it. But if you're not paying attention to the fact that it's important, uh, you really miss out on an opportunity. So, so how do you, how do you get that top, like, instead of, making the thousand calls, how do you get the top like 10% to put them in the funnel? What, what, te- what are the best techniques in existence today? So I can find those top 10% instead of having to filter out a, a ton of people that comes to me. And so a lot of this was covered in growth IQ, but, but you know, there's 10 paths to growth and, and within those 10 paths, just to set the stage, there was nothing earth shattering in those 10 paths. If you looked at those 10 paths, you'd be like, okay, yeah, nothing new in the paths. I don't disagree. But as I just told you, right, it was the late 1800s. A lot of this stuff was invented. And most of the strategy in, in sales and marketing, if you will, and growth was in the 50s, 1950s. And so I said, I'm going to take all those tried and true strategies and modernize them with social, mobile, cloud, big data, AR, VR, AI, you know, all the things we now have at our disposal and say, what would you do different because of all this now new data that we have? So going back to your question, one of the chapters is customer experience. The other one is customer-based penetration, selling more to the customers you already have. And another one is optimizing sales, like just getting better at selling to this very question you've just asked me. And I would tell you that the only way you can do that is know who your customers currently are. Right. What sources of leads are more effective? So you're spending everywhere, but gosh, you know, source A gives us a thousand new customers a month, but 750 of them churn within six months and we barely pay ourselves back. Source B gives us 300 customers a month, but they have a longer lifetime value, a higher share of wallet and average selling price, and, they're, and they have more than two of our products. Well, gosh, let's kill source A 
because the metric for source A is, well, we've closed a thousand, those leads are good, right? Versus going stop, like, and then say, okay, B, who are those customers and how do we find more of them? Right. And so what do they look like? What do they look like? And I don't mean like, you know, they're five foot six might be if you're clothing uh, <laughs> manufacturer. Right. But point being like, what's their firmographic demographic? You know, where are they located? What's their profession? Like the more you can learn about them, then the idea is go for find more like them. Like one of the stories in the book is Red Bull, like, you know, someone who's an adrenaline junkie, junkie like how do we go find more of them? who want to drink Red Bull. So the technology that's come out is really allowing us to, to identify niche segments much clearer now, and we can actually target them, like unlike we were able to do in, pa- in the past. So is technology like one of the, the keys here for optimizing sales then, I would take it? Because like the idea of like Facebook targeting or um, you know some of these like advanced data targeting mechanisms that are now at our fingertips you know, weren't available in the past. So can you talk a little bit about the idea of like how important niching down to like get down to these very, very specific segments is in your opinion, or is this more just about getting clear on the, on the general base of customers? So I, I, I'm going to answer that two ways. One, I'm going to say, look, it's not lost on me. Obviously I work for Salesforce. Uh, and I would tell you that I said this when I was on stage as a Gartner analyst and advising all my customers for a decade you cannot do what we're talking about without technology. Yeah. I think we've got the best technology, but you know, I'm biased. It's where I work. <laughs> but I would tell you that you can't do what we're talking about on an Excel spreadsheet, post-it notes, and a little bit of bubblegum. You know, I remember like, you know, my very first CRM system was the Rolodex on my desk, and I would spin it wherever it stopped is who I'd call. Like we've <laughs> come a long way. And then I had a single version user, user version of ACT and then Goldmine. And then I was a beta client of, you know, now it's like, listen, when I sit down at my desk, I can open it up. It'd be like, Tiffany, don't call a hundred people, call these 10. Here's the script. Here's the offer. Here's what, why they have a higher propensity to buy. Here are all the people in your, in your customer base that have apples and oranges. And we notice that people that have those two products or more likely to buy a third from us within 60 days of buying their last product. So let's do a campaign. How could you possibly do that without technology? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that that I love about this day and age is uh, like I'm, I'm helping a, a company right now uh, and we're running a campaign where we're testing different messages to different demographics. So like three different messages to uh, a certain market segment and uh, they click on an ad and then they go to a landing page. And it's just really interesting because it's like, oh, this this particular text will generate more click throughs. Yet this one will get more uh, less click throughs, but more conversion. So it's just kind of funny how like, you know, and you don't know this stuff unless you you do stuff like this. Uh, and so it, it's 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 amazing to me that we have the ability to be more creative with how we do things without you know, in the old days, it was just like a focus group. And then we had to test some messages to like 10 people and then we'll go with that ad campaign. Right. Yeah. But I'd, I'd say to you, the thing that that worries me now is we have no shortage of data. Like marketers have a, you know, there's, there's almost too much data. Right. And, yeah. and OK. And and in many ways, it's also siloed in different databases, which is, of course, the nirvana is a single source of truth. It is that is nirvana. Very few are able to achieve that, especially if you're a very mature organization. But if you're starting out from scratch having a single source of truth would be my very first recommendation to you, right? But Mm -hmm. if you have all this data, the thing I see people make the biggest mistake on is the data is telling them to go right. 
And what they've always done and what their gut is telling them and their experience is telling them is to go left. And they err on going left because it's what's comfortable and it's what they know. Instead of saying, you know what? We have to trust the fact that this data is telling us insights like, you know, data is the new oil, but the mm-hmm. refiner, you can't pull up to a you know oil rig and put gas in your car. It has to be go through the refinery, which is analytics. And then the intelligence is the gasoline that powers the business. And so if the intelligence is people who buy apples and oranges are more likely to buy papayas, you have to act on it. And I don't mean, you know, let's just completely turn the, you know, world upside down. But what I do mean is that you have to listen to it. It's like people who uh, film their retail stores and they go, I want to know what the traffic's like and which way they go in the store. And you're like, okay, or any retail store. And, And ultimately it's like, okay, and then you do that. And then you realize that people only come in between 10 and 2 p.m. Are you going to close the store the rest of the time? And they always go left, but you have everything right. Are you going to remodel the store? And the answer is usually, well, of course not. And I go, then why look at the data? Why look at the video? If you're not going to change the behavior because of it. And I think this is where marketers that have been marketing for a really long time have to be willing to get super uncomfortable with the fact that technology and insights may tell them to do something that's counterintuitive to them because the data is actually showing them a- another option. Yeah. So, so what are, what are some other mistakes that, that marketers may be making in, uh, in this day and age, something that you see a lot? Well, I definitely say that, right. I I'd say they're not, well, I'd go back one, they're not enabling customer service. Like they're enabling sales Two, you know, that sort of ties into that whole, are, are they doing anything for customer service, you know, both online and offline, you know, are they, are they using the platforms, um, that they now have available to them, you know, I don't believe unless you're a massive brand that you should be on, you know, 17 social platforms like you just you're spreading yourself way too thin. So once again, who are your customers? Where do they buy? Where do they shop? Where do they go for information? That's where you want to be. And, and how they use that platform too. That's the other important aspect of that because a uh, one of the big mistakes that I see with brands that go on to different social platforms, even if they niche down to the two or three that they know that their target market is going to be in, uh, they, they the, whoever's making the post isn't cognizant of how people are using these platforms, and and that's a that that can run into a lot of problems because your stuff just doesn't it gets ignored. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, using technology and not being afraid of it. I mean, there is no shortage of technology. As I said, I don't think you need 50 things, but you need the things that are going to help you be more effective at your job. And then one that that, you know, we're really uh, uh, talking a lot about is this sort of inclusive marketing that, you know, making sure that you're very aware of uh, sort of who your customers are, the demographic of them, the expectation of them. And you're also inclusive in in all of those marketing, uh, you know, functions. So as an example, you know, you you put an ad out on YouTube, and there's no, and it's somebody who's hearing impaired and they can't hear it. So add closed captioning, or are you doing something if someone can't see it? Or you know, I, I use that as just a very basic general, but that's what sort of that inclusive marketing is making sure that you're not forgetting segment of a potential customer base uh, because you're just so used to taking care of, you know, the, the status quo. So I think that 
that's really an interesting conversation we've just started to have. Uh, and and marketers, uh, you know, should be at the tip of the spear of that. Now, I want to come back to this, the idea of data, though, and and companies not listening to the data, because I personally think that a lot of that comes down to, you know, people have human egos. Um, they want to think that they're smarter than they are. We all want to think we're smarter than we are. But I, I see this trend in sports right now, too, because if you if you follow sports, there's a, there's a lot of these teams are now trying to incorporate analytics and data. And you have like these two like uh, segments or these two factions where one is all about the data and one is like, no, that will never work. It has to be, you know, traditional instincts, coaching, things like that. And it's like the, it's like the same thing taking place in business right now. Um, but where does AI come into this? Because like, I mean, I would imagine that AI at some point will be able to take this data, filter it in ways that, you know, humans can't even think of right now and, and really pull out like, the perfect metrics for, you know, for who to target. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about like where you see AI coming into this conversation and, and just um, further on that? Absolutely. And I tell you that I think that the most successful sellers going forward are going to be those that use AI and they're going to step up competition and outperform those who are not using technology in that same way. And I think the same thing is true on the marketing side. I, I don't think this is uh, all about replacing humans with AI. I absolutely think this is human and machine. It's an and play. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I remember at Dreamforce a couple of years ago, I was I was working here, so it was probably two. And we had announced uh, a lot of the work we were doing with Einstein, which is our AI um, underlying technology uh, within sales cloud, marketing cloud, service cloud, et cetera. And it was the sales cloud keynote and they were talking about this whole, you know, next best action and don't call a hundred people, call the 10 that are more likely to buy. And just for a moment, I was like, oh man, maybe I'll get back into sales because I was blowing out my quota with, uh, with bubble gum and a post-it note and Excel spreadsheet, right? Like imagine what I could do with the power <laughs> of all that technology can do today. Mm. And so I, I'd say that, that I, I also don't think it's only AI. I don't think it's only human. You have to find by your company, by your brand, by the product you're selling, like what is the right mix for you? Mm -hmm. And what are those pieces of insight that can come out of the data that you have? But the one Achilles heel to this entire conversation is the data. If you yeah. don't have it, if it's not clean, if it's not accurate, or if, if it's, it's not, too much. Well, even if it's too much, AI can handle too much. Like that's not yeah. the problem. But if it's too much and then you're not able to get anything out of too much, then that I right. agree with. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, um, you know, basically, I mean, and I agree with you that this, these are all tools that you use like tools in your tool belt, rather than letting it do the work for you. You still have to, you know, kind of figure out what's best, uh, based on, on the, the human factor. But, um, I'm going to switch gears a, a little bit if that's okay, because I'd like to talk about, how to properly use a CRM uh, because it, to, to kind of, if you're, if you're like in the sales process, you don't have a CRM, what's the best way to take advantage of, of a CRM? Well, I, I would say ultimately sales, the same way I said that customers do not wake up and get all excited about going from stage two to stage three <laughs> in the funnel. Okay. Salespeople, once again, one of these bets I'm willing to make, do not wake up every day and go, my God, I can't wait to go do data entry. What? Probably <laughs> yeah. That's how I wake up every day, but I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not a salesperson. <laughs> I know that's a hard one. So every, everyone has spit their coffee out, you know? 
they're, they're driving to work. They've just spit their coffee out. What is she saying? That is not true. I love entering data. Like we know that that's not true. Okay. So we also know that about 66% of a sales rep's time is spent on non-selling activities and about half of them will miss quota. So if you tie those three things together and say two thirds of their time is spent on non-selling and half are going to miss quota. What if I could take some of that non-selling off their plate and give them more time to sell? The assumption would be the percentage of quota attainment would go up, right? Someone who's hitting 72% would hit 75, you know, 81 would hit 84, 89 would hit 93. You know what I mean? Like if I can give them more time to, I don't know, do their job, they could probably sell more. Assuming they're truly allocating their time correctly. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Number one. And also making it, you know, assuming that the quota that was set is realistic. Right. So, you know, if the quota is ridiculous, like last year you sold a million this year, I want you to sell 5 million. I'm going to miss my quota probably. Right. But, okay. So let's just make those assumptions that, um, you know, uh, that those things are in line. All right. So I then say, well, if I can give them back time, how, how can I do that? So some of those, you know, tedious tasks of like data entry. So now could we do it via voice? Hey, you know, I just left ABC company, talked to John Smith. Here's the three action items, set up a calendar for me to do da, 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 da. You know, I want to sell and send him pricing on blah, 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 right? It's all being entered into the CRM via voice. Taking that unstructured data via natural language processing, summarizing it and actually gaining those key insights. Like the technology is just catching up to being able to do that, right? It's unstructured data couldn't be summarized and searched. And we're really pushing the envelope on that to try to help, right? That we know at the end of a day, if you're a field seller, you've had six meetings with customers, you don't remember what you did at 9 a.m., it's 5 p.m. and you don't want to go back to the office and data enter. So it doesn't make it in there, which goes back to my comment about if you don't have the data, you can't be smarter and as a marketer, you don't know, even know what's working. So between the two, you're losing all those really amazing insights. So we have to help get the data in there. So capturing it from emails, getting into the CRM via voice, you know, capturing a majority of it from you know, other parts of the company. So like a customer service ticket was opened on this particular customer. So probably not today is a good day to call them to sell them something. Like if those two things are connected, right? So paying attention too. Paying attention. And so uh, I'd say that the goal of, you know, anybody who's in sales ops, sales enablement, marketing is how do I help sellers remove those things from the 66% that can free them up to not only sell, spend more time selling, but sell smarter. Yeah. And that that's where if you don't know what they're spending time on, like, so if you're listening and you're in sales, let's say, like just for two weeks, keep track of what you do every day, 15 minutes, half hour, hour. And then at the end of the week, sort of say, how much time am I actually personally spending selling? And then how do I start to eliminate some of those things by using technology to do so? And so once sales and marketing both start to feel like CRM is actually outputting really valuable insights, they will start inputting more. So it's kind of the cart and the horse, right? Because yeah. if you don't input, you don't get output. And if people feel they're just inputting and they're not getting output, they won't continue to input. Well, theoretically, their performance should improve, which should incentivize them to put more data in because of that, what's coming out to them is helping them sell more, right? Yes, but in many cases, unfortunately, you know, some some of us, we've been doing this a really long time and we feel like we've been promised that technology was going to do this for us for so long 
both on the marketing <laughs> yeah, and yeah. sales side, that we're, I believe that we are at a tipping point where we've just sort of passed the tipping point where in fact, that is actually can be a reality. And so you now have the opportunity to say, even though five years ago or 10 years ago, or even 15 or 20 years ago, it didn't work for me. Don't let that trap you in that we sell the same way or we market the same way. So you have to overcome that skepticism. You do. You do. And it's, we call it the sort of the beginner's mind, you know, take 85% of everything you've learned and don't forget it, but allow yourself 15 or 20% of your mind space to try new processes, try new technology, try new ways of doing things. And even if you fail, it's all getting towards the what's going to work for me going forward, because what got you here will not get you there. Yeah, working working smarter and not necessarily harder. And I, I like the idea of tracking kind of what you're doing and how much you know time you're putting into these things. I, I'm personally afraid of doing that because I'm afraid that the pie chart will be like, like uh, you know, ten percent work and then cat videos and Reddit for me. So I just, I don't even know. <laughs> Listen, as a marketer, same thing. Like, how much time are you spending on you know content production or executing on a marketing plan? or talking to customers or going on a set, you know what I mean? Like create buckets for yourself as a marketer of what are you spending your time on? And I think you're going to notice the things you're not doing, like some of the suggestions I gave, right? Enabling customer service, sitting on customer service calls, going on sales calls, meeting with customers, like, you know, spending time in the understanding so that when in fact you're writing new copy, you know who you should be even personalizing it to. Right. And so, so do you, do you think, um, you know, that, that as far as like, is there any like Salesforce hacks or CRM hacks that you could recommend for people to be more efficient in their sales slash marketing process? <laughs> Say that again. Like, like, is there any, is there any hacks? Like, like what, what, what's like best, the best way people can uh, really use these tools to better their marketing process? Just like things that you've noticed that uh, like hacks that people can yep. use with like something like, like Salesforce. Yeah. So here, here's what I'd say. It, it, this was a customer when I had only been at Salesforce, maybe five or six months, it was in Brisbane, Australia, and it was a government agency, highly regulated, um, small team had done two failed uh, Salesforce deployments. This was their third try. And uh, the manager who was sort of, you know, leading that effort, the leader who was leading that effort was uh, the first two was not there anymore. This was sort of a, a new team and they were trying it for a third time. And uh, ironically, Gartner was, you know, advising them as well. And, and now I now work for Salesforce and I show up. And, and they had one of the most successful deployments. Customer satisfaction went up. Employee morale went up. They became a really great, you know, one of the top places to work. You know, all kinds of things, greatness happened. So I said, I want to know how you did it. So I tell this story all the time to companies all over the world because I think I am a visual learner. And so if you've seen my book, you will understand why I use sketch notes and I underline stuff. I'm a visual listen learner, not necessarily a read learner. So I said, tell me how you did it. They took a wall that was maybe 40 yards long. They drew a line at about the four foot mark all the way the length of the wall. Below the line was all the things they asked customers to do in order to engage with them. And in this case, let's say to buy from them. Although the agency government was not selling anything in that way, but Mm -hmm. stay with me, right? It was friction, friction points, right? Friction points. So 
I, you know, open a case with this government agency and immediately an email comes back. You have to print this PDF. It was like, you know, 40 pages. You had to sign like 15 of the pages, the last thing, you know, all and fax it back in 2018. And then it was like, you know, the next thing was like, it was, and it was one after the other. And then what they did was they interviewed customers at each of those stages and they put above the line, uh, these little post-it notes of what customers said. And then they picked a certain color of post-it notes that when people were walking, employees were walking from the front door, you know, when they entered the office to the call center to go to work, they would see this wall and they would put up post-it notes of the best way to fix this problem is to just put a checkbox on this field on this. You know what I mean? Like they know all the hacks they had to do to do their job every day. So they're like, Mm -hmm. if you could just take these hacks away and push them to the customer and eliminate this and maybe use, you know, DocuSign instead of making them fax and sign it online and, you know, those kinds of things. And there was a team on the other side of the wall. It was a UX designer. It was a change management, uh, you know, sort of expert. And it was a actually somebody who was going to go in and, and do the coding at the time. So in real time, they're hacking as they're going to work and they're just chipping away at this long process that used to take 18 months from the moment a customer opened a case to the moment that case was closed, 18 months. And that's horrible because it was really in home construction and you know, you're fighting for something that takes that long when it comes to your home like that. It, it, it can be really just traumatizing. Yeah. They got it down to 90 days. Wow. And so, good. you know, I say, take your journey that you put your customers through to buy. And you may realize that legal makes you do these three things. Marketing makes you do these two things. Sales makes you do these five things. You know, the billing department makes you do these three things. And by the time you add it up, you're actually telling the customer, I need you to do 22 things before you give me your money. Yeah. And that that's so alienating. I mean, for me, like that would, that could kill a deal many times. If, if the onboarding process is too cumbersome, it, it could pull me out of the whole thing. Yes. And so, you know, and I think it allows everybody from all the various groups in the organization that have input into how to buy and sell and engage and and commerce with customers. All the different groups get to put up that, you know, legal says, no, we have to have this and finances, we have to have that. And, you know, all. And then you realize, wow, we're making our customers do all this. Yeah. So you basically crowdsourced a solution um, and took it from 18 months to three months, which is uh, very impressive. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was just it was just visual. And, and I can tell you that I did it with a very large company that's in the entertainment industry and they they love the idea they did it and out of it they not only increased conversion rates from online significantly to they actually came up with a new product because they realized there was a gap that they were leaving came up with a new product which is actually their largest profit generator all from when people walked into the office of the of the marketing you know department that was marketing and branding department of a major entertainment brand that the people actually knew how to solve the problem mm-hmm. and not those that were configuring Salesforce, you know, the ops people or the CIO or the CMO, right? It was the people who were actually like trying to sell the stuff that they had. And so uh, it, it's really impactful. 
Reminds me of the quote you have in the book from Steve Jobs, where he basically says, we're not going to go to the engineer team to try to decide what we want to sell customers. We want to go to the customers and then figure out how we can adapt the technology to fit what they want, um, which is kind of what that reminds me of. Yes. <laughs> so, well, this is uh, this has been amazingly uh, cool. We've got to we, we've got to close out uh, the show. But but tell me, where can people find you? Uh, your books on Amazon, obviously. Right. Uh, what, what, what are your, what are your best sources to, uh, to, to get more information? Remind, remind people the title of the book and also your podcast title too. Yeah. So the book is growth IQ. You can get it in the Kindle version. You can get it in the audible version, which is my voice and, or you can get it in a hard copy. Uh, it's now in, so in the U S uh, and it's now in, uh, Spanish it's in Portuguese. It's in Korean, it's in simple Chinese and it's in, uh, Polish. So, we got two or three more languages coming up, so it's making its way around the globe. So it's super fun to, to watch that that happening. The podcast is What's Next with Tiffany Bova. I, it comes out every other Thursday. I've had about 65 shows now and, and some fantastic guests. I, I'm super active on social. It's at Tiffany underscore Bova, uh, as well as on LinkedIn and on Instagram and Facebook. So, you know, I'm, I'm sort of out there, but I'm always looking for, you know, if you heard something I said today that you either, I'm actually very interested if you don't agree, that's the stuff I really love to hear because it helps shape what I say again the next time. Uh, and then if there's anything that really resonated in an example where you're using it, I, lo I love to, to hear the stories of what's working out there in the market. And, and what's next for you this year? Are you speaking at like um, any conferences this year that um, the listeners could find you at? So I did a hundred last year somewhere in the world. So... <laughs> A hundred. Wow. I did a hundred. <laughs> so, you know, uh, there's a lot, but, um, you might take a little time off this year. <laughs> I'm sorry. You might slow down a bit this year. Take some time. Yeah, off. I, 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 uh, I, I flew 375,000 miles last year. So wow. I, I, yeah, I'm a little active. <laughs> so, uh, well, well, before we go, I want to find out, uh, what, what are you geeky about right now? Besides all of this stuff? Like what, what's the, what's your big, what's your big geek out at the moment? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things. One, I'm super uh, honed in on this connection between sales service and customer service. Uh, I use sales marketing and customer service. I'm, I'm really fascinated when I can find companies that are hyper connected in those three. And, and that's a rarity, quite honestly. Uh, it's usually different leaders with different metrics and different agendas. But when I find them, so I love figuring out how and where that can happen more and more and, and what the catalyst would be to get people to understand the value in that. Uh, next, it, it sort of in the marketing world is continuing to, to uh, bang the drum on experience is the new product and that customers will remember the experience they had with a brand longer than the price they paid. And so the role marketing plays in that experience is significant. And so we have to figure out how do they understand that you know, that that is in fact the case. And then more importantly, you know, getting product management and developers and executives to realize that the, that the product is interesting, but people are getting more and more almost equally interested in the experience as the products you're selling. So you, you mm -hmm. just can't separate them at this point. And then I think that inclusive marketing conversation about just kind of the equality in the, in the marketing segment to making sure we're speaking with the right tone, uh, and inclusion uh, across the market to make sure we're not uh, purposely uh, ignoring a, a large segment or spending segment in, a, in the marketplace. 
those are the, you know, yeah. just in, in this wheelhouse, right? In the marketing wheelhouse, that would, that would be the things that, that I'm geeking out about. Well, well, when you Netflix and chill, I mean, you, you know, in between <laughs> that, what do you, what are you watching? What do you do it? Like what else are you doing? Yeah. So I will, you know, cause I have a lot of flying time. <laughs> Yeah, because that's what I'm interested in. Yeah, I'm always I'm always interested in a show I can binge watch on, you know, but it has to be downloadable. Right. Because like if I'm doing Showtime Go or HBO Go airplane Wi-Fi. Yeah. So it has to be downloadable. So So, so what's the last good show you saw? uh, I really like Chernobyl. Um, I thought it was great. I thought, um, uh, let's see, what was another one that I watched that I really liked was Chernobyl uh, was good. It was good. It was you know, I was alive and old enough to sort of pay attention and I completely missed it because I wasn't old enough to really get it. So it's interesting. It happened in my lifetime. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it, it sort of just lets you realize how isolated sometimes we can be in the U.S. that, would, you know, not now because of social media, but where we don't really realize what else is uh, uh, going on. Unforgotten, I thought was fantastic. Uh, I really like that. Oh, I've uh, seen that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I like ones that are, uh, make me not think about work. (laughs) So it makes sense. It it needs to be not a, you know, you know, like Wolf of Wall Street. Like I I don't need it to be (laughs) something that's, you know, right home. Like I don't need to, you know, have you seen you on uh, Netflix? I, you know, it's one of those ones that's in my need to watch. And so, uh, you know, I have a lot of international travel coming up. So I think if if you're telling me that should be next, then maybe that should be next. (laughs) It's, 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 it's an interesting show. It's a, a it'll take you outside of your work uh, mind. Yeah, that's, (laughs) that's for sure. Well, uh, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on and, and uh, being part of uh, the marketing geeks. We really, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, some of the insights about, uh, uh, that you gave us, we, we'd love to have you back on too, because, uh, I could, I could go on another hour, you know, I want to talk about more of the future of AI. And, uh, so if, if you have time, uh, sometime we'd love to have you back on the show. Of course. Happy to do it anytime. You know, I, I, I love getting an opportunity to talk to marketers because, you know, I think they, uh, um, as I said, you know, I'm a classic seller. So the, it it allows me to have fun with the, with the relationship, good and bad. Yeah. Well, uh, Tiffany Boa, everybody. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, and now Justin. Yes. Guess, guess who I have next to me. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Who do you have? I, I have my lovely wife, AKA our producer, Iris Sturgeon and no way. Uh, way, and she's going to tell us what's coming up on the Marketing Geeks in the next week. All right, so here she is, ladies and gentlemen, my wife, Iris Sturgeon. Thank you. Well, that has been a while, and sometimes it's very hard for me to get here on time, but I made it. So uh, uh, I'm very happy to uh, announce our next uh, guest and. Uh, that is Sean Douglas. He is a U.S. Air Force veteran, a TEDx speaker and speaker mentor. Uh, he is a business strategist, an international radio show host, author of the book Decisions, The Power to Overcome Self-Defeating Behaviors. Um, on the book, it says he's a mental, emotional, social and spiritual resilience expert. And I'm very curious what conversation uh would be like um the book is about to help people with a 
without a purpose or a why who needs the motivation to realize their dreams and to live their best life possible. And I think in these days, that's a very welcome subject. And I'm sure you will have a very interesting interview and conversation with San Douglas. So, um, Any questions you, you want us to ask? Uh, want you to ask? Well, um, you pass me a note. You know, <laughs> I mean, you're allowed to speak too. So, well, um, I was I was thinking what I was geeky about at oh, this moment. What What are you geeky about at this moment? <laughs> what I What I um, well, um, I just watched. Uh, I I binge watched. Uh, is it what you call? Yes, uh, what we call. I, it's a long time ago that I did that uh, Scandinavian show. It's called the Restaurant, and uh, it was very, very good. And you know, when you watch something and you're totally in it, and suddenly after two episodes of two shows and 24 episodes, it stops, and you have to wait another year. It's always a bummer. That's why you do the five episodes, <laughs> the five season rule. That's why. Yeah, um, I enjoyed you, uh, and of course, I always enjoy you. Oh. But that's another you. Um, 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 I'm not very geeky about other things at the moment because I'm very, very busy uh, developing my own business and my own website and my own podcast. Uh, so I'm mostly geeky about getting that done and getting some things for the marketing geeks done. So I've now, 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 wait a minute. I'm a little, I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little disappointed right now because no? I showed you Guardians of the Galaxy for oh. the first time. <laughs> You didn't, Just a few she didn't days mention ago, it. You didn't even mention it. I didn't mention it. Um, maybe I can explain why I didn't yeah, mention it. Yeah, you got some explaining to do. Yes, I fell asleep <laughs> after ten minutes. <laughs> okay, okay. Can I just can I just can I just say something here? Wait, because Andres, Andres, I made I made Laura. I don't know what to do about this. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. Just wait, wait. I, made, I made Laura go to uh, I made Laura go to Guardians of the Galaxy two because it came out on my birthday like two years ago or three years ago, whenever that was, and she was like mad at me afterwards because <laughs> she hated it so much so <laughs> you're not alone iris there are other people that don't like it. oh thank you thank oh. you well we'll see but here's the problem it's not it's not that she doesn't like them it's that every time i start playing them she falls asleep and i i, I had this kind of vision that like oh me and my lady love i'm gonna take her through all the marvel movies <laughs> and like we still have like, we we i've tried avengers like four times and she always falls asleep yeah well that's says maybe more about me than about all the shows you uh, w want me to see. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Oh, yeah? Well, you, you <laughs> sat straight up for you. <laughs> well, I get it. Anyway, um, thanks, everybody. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. And next week or next time, you hear Sean Douglas. And I'm very, very curious how that will be. Thank so, you, Eric <laughs> What, what about you, Andros? What, what are what, you geeky what about, about? What are you geeky about for this week at the moment? Oh man, what am I geeky about? Uh, you know what? I um, I'm finally starting season four of uh, Mr. Robot, and uh, if you haven't seen it, it's a it's a great it's a weird it's it's a great show. And so, I only saw season one, and I predicted the ending within like the first episode. Oh well, it, but. It, but how how are seasons two through four? How are they? Uh, seasons two through four are. I mean, it gets pretty wild, man. It's a it's a it's it's a pretty strange show, but it's the acting is great, uh, the directing is great. Uh, it's definitely out there. But I I 
Uh, I'll let you know when I'm done. I'll probably be done with the main, uh, the main character, Rami Malek, or obviously his name. Yeah. Uh, great actor. Oh, perfect, he's fantastic perfect for that role. Perfect. You know, I watched the Mandela effect the movie after we did that interview with, uh, Sam McRoberts and he mentioned seeing yeah. the movie. He sold me on watching it. So I went and watched it and it was, I think it was worth my time. I mean, it's, you know, it's stuff we already know. So like, if you already know the Mandela effect, they kind of recap a lot of that stuff for people that don't know it. But it gets into then, like, why is this happening? And then they discuss, like, is it simulation theory? Is it, um, are, are we in some kind of, like, multi multiverse with, like, alternate timelines happening? So it was kind yes. of uh, lots of cool philosophical questions asked on a low budget. Um, so I enjoyed, I enjoyed the movie, though. It was definitely worth checking out. Nice, man. Well, uh, the recommendation of the week. So uh, great, man. Do you feel complete with the show? I feel, I feel pretty complete. Pretty complete. Uh, Nice, me too. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, another fine, fine episode of The Marketing Geeks. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, for those of you uh, that are into Salesforce and Tiffany Bova, go check out her book, Growth IQ. You can find it on Amazon. We'll have a link in the show notes and listen to her podcast, What's Next? Uh, Yes. And uh, of course, try to connect with us on LinkedIn. Uh, you have a question for us, you can... We have an email address, right? No way. Do we? We do. Yeah. It's info yeah. at marketinggeekspodcast.com. You can connect with us there. Yeah, <laughs> and Iris, Iris is the responsible one. So you'll uh, she'll answer your email. And she's very responsive. That's right. Pretty, pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah, man. Uh, I'm... Uh, we're, we're heading up on our, what two-year anniversary pretty soon we're coming up on two years we're coming up on 100 episodes uh which that's crazy us a while to get to but we're, we're almost there so that's where i think this is going to be like 94 95 ish so we're right around there wow man it's been it's been fun I've, I've i've really enjoyed doing this i know we're now like we're veteran podcasters now we're no longer newbies and 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 you know what uh i would say that no matter what we are we are better than cats and that's with right. that stay classy it's going to be our new tagline, man. <laughs> Better than geeks. cats. Better than cats. <laughs> I like it.